Hi, I'm Bianca Cotton, host of Behind the Confidence Smile, where we inspire women to walk in love, live in hope, and be healed from past hurts. And I am back with special guest Lakeisha Spike. She left us on a cliffhanger last week, okay? Talking about her story of becoming a teen mom. Something you might want to know about Lakeisha, she is now a school social worker, and she started out working in the lunchroom 23 years ago. And she is back to talk to parents on how they can advocate for their children who have individualized education plans, better known as IEPs. Welcome back, Lakeisha. Yay, I'm <laughs> glad to be back. Yes, oh, so much from episode one, but definitely wanted to have you back to talk about how parents, one, can understand their rights as a parent when their children have IEPs. But before we dig into that, what, what is the purpose of an individualized education plan? What does it do? Um, why do children have them? Wow, that is a great question. Well, the purpose of it is to give children the supports they need for a sense of equity in schools, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone comes with different things because we all are unique. And some people may be able to do things that others aren't right now. And so it's to, to provide support, intervention, different things that students need in order to even that playing field. Talk about the purpose of it. What is it like? How does a child uh, become eligible oh, okay. for a, a plan? Well, usually, because in the school we have a lot of supports, right? Mm -hmm. So we have another support called MTSS, and that's a, a tiered system that students go to that are identified by the teachers that may be struggling with certain areas, right? And so that part could lead to an IEP, but one of the most important parts that parents should know, parents could actually ask they can ask for their student to be evaluated for the IEP. Just because you're evaluated doesn't mean you actually get it, but you can ask to be evaluated. A lot of times if you're seeing things as a parent, um, especially if your kid is hanging out with friends or cousins or someone, and you're seeing kids that are doing things that you know your child should be doing and probably can do, and for whatever reason you're not seeing that, mm -hmm. you can ask for an evaluation because there may be something hindering that, right? And it can even be as easy as during the evaluation process, sometimes we even found out that a kid may have a hearing um, deficiency or mm -hmm. a sight deficiency, and now we're able to su provide supports to correct that. So they may not need an IEP for that, but it may be an alarm going off so that we can check further. Mm. So can an uh, IEP be used for uh, academics and social emotional reasons or just purely I noticed that my child is not catching on to the rigor of school and they're falling behind and not comprehending um, the information that the teacher is sharing. Or, yeah, like I wanted to pause there. Like how when we talk about a parent observing like the behavior or the academic needs of their child in comparison to those in their grade, what is... What are some things that parents should be mindful of? Yeah, so not, it's not just academic, it could be mm. behavioral as well. Mm. So to, to, to even qualify for an IEP, when we go through the eligibility process, there are 13 different categories that students can be eligible. And one of the categories is OHI, which is other health impairment, and it could be mm. any health e issue. Um, the most, uh, 
the most common one that I see is ADHD. Okay. Right. And then they also could be uh, for another behavior one. They can be ED, which is emotional mm -hmm. uh, disability. And so, yeah, so those two could qualify someone who they're having some different behaviors. Yeah. Mm, OK, thank you. So I'm going through the journey. We've identified what IEP is, the purpose of it. What does a parent need to know now that their child has an IEP? We say, hey, I trust that the school is doing everything that is in the IEP and don't check back. Or are there meetings? Like, what's the accountability measures that the parents should be aware of? So I would love to back up just a little bit. Okay. So after, let's say, for instance, a parent sees that their child may need these kind of supports, right? They could write a letter or email or even, you know, a little sticky note to someone in the school office. They can give it to the principal, teacher, whoever. Um, the school has 10 days to reply to you and let you know whether they think that your child is eligible to even be evaluated, right? Mm. And so in that 10 days, what we do in the school is we'll look at data. If you're saying a behavior is concerns, we'll pull referrals, we'll pull um, different things. We may even observe the child. We'll talk to the teacher and we'll see if th that there's a reason to do an evaluation. Academically, we'll look at the child and see, you know, what do they look like in school? What are their academic uh, assessments stating? And so things like that. And then we'll get back to you and say, hey, we, we're going to do an evaluation. There's cost there, right? Mm. Sometimes, very rarely there's no cost, but there's cost there. So we have to respond to you within 10 days, right? Letting you know our plan. Then once we say yes or no, usually it's yes, um, we have a meeting, which is called a domain meeting. During that meeting, we just let you know, we want to, we come in as a team. And I want parents to really understand that this is a team effort. Yes. Teachers, uh, psychologists, social workers, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, they are professionals in their field. But you are the professional of your child. You are the mm. expert of your child. This is a team effort, right? So when we come to the table, we have identified already some areas that we think we should evaluate and dig deeper in. You also, during that meeting, will be asked, should be asked several times. When I do my reports, I always ask parents, Am I missing anything? Is there anything else you would like to add, right? Mm. I think it's very important for parents to understand that, that they have a say in what's happening, okay? Mm. There are also advocates you can reach out to um, different law, uh, law firms. You can even Google uh, special education law firms. There are some of them, a lot of them that do things pro bono. They'll show up at meetings with you. You can always, always bring someone. I really suggest you bring someone, even if it's just for moral support, a family member, someone at church. It can be someone who knows about school systems. It can be someone that knows absolutely nothing. They're just there with you as a support. Because sometimes it can be overwhelming for a parent because they don't know what's happening and maybe this person can even help you. Because I think it's important to ask as many questions as possible so that you know what's happening because mm -hmm. it's a process. So when we get to the evaluation process, there are so many domains we can open up. We can open up something when it comes to behavior. We can open up something when it comes to speech. They may say, okay, there are no motor issues. We're not going to do anything with occupational therapy or physical therapy. And you can be like, well, he always falling or she's always falling. We may not have known that. Mm. 
And so sometimes it, it, it can dig deeper. Sometimes it can't depend on if it's affecting them in school. So maybe even the teacher can be like, you know what? They are always tripping. I didn't know that, you know. And so there's a lot of different things. So as a parent, share as much as you can, but also ask questions. So once we evaluate the student, we come back. We have 60 days to do the evaluation of all the different domains that we say we're going to open up. We have 60 days to come back with the results. Mm. When we come back to the, with the results, that hour, that meeting could usually last anywhere between an hour, hour and a half, two hours. I've seen some last eight hours. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a long time. Because they ask why. <laughs> so you come in and now we're telling you the results. Also, you're supposed to get the results at least five days before the meeting. It may be three, but I think it's five because we got a lot of threes and fives when it comes to our different um, deadlines. But you're supposed to have the results before the meeting. Look over it. Because even if you don't understand it, at least you have a form of reference. Oh, I saw it before. So you get to the meeting. It's not foreign. Right. right. So you look over it and now they're saying things. It may click like, oh, I did see that. I didn't know what that meant. And so um, we come back to the table. We tell you all of our results. If you don't understand something, please let us know. Let them know. Usually I can tell by parents' body language that they're not understanding. And I'll try to explain further mm -hmm. what the results mean. I just started, which is so funny. I've been reflecting on how I can be better. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I do all the time. And I noticed when I would do my reporting, I would just put the report. And something told me the other day, you need to put the scale so the parents can understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, with some of the social emotional testing that I do, your child could get a 70. And so I would just say a 70. You get that. You don't know what that means. Right. Well, the scale says that anything 90 and above is average. Mm. Right. And so now I put the whole scale and it said, I think 70 is below average. Um, 80 to 89 is um, that's below average. No, that's that's below average. And then low is 70 and below. So I put the whole scale there like a key so parents can actually understand mm what it means. And I think I used to do that before. Somehow in the busyness of being a social worker, I assumed that people knew, but it took me back. So that's why it's important to know your rights, know that you're part of the team, that you have a say in the decisions that are made there. And once that happens, when you talk about accountability, mm -hmm. um, parents can call an IEP meeting at any time. You can contact the school and they'll set up an IEP meeting for you. You call an IEP meeting at any time. And so to the accountability piece, one of the ways I think is talking with your child, talking with the teacher, asking questions, mm -hmm. and then seeing who, who is responsible for this. And, and even your role, like what is my role as a parent? Like, mm -hmm. what is my role to support this goal that you have? And I think once the team sees that the parent is an active, willing, open participant, the accountability seems to be um, taken seriously for everybody. Like, OK, mm -hmm. I have this part. They have this part. And we're a team. And so I think checking in, going to parent teacher conferences, looking at the progress report, because every time there's a parent teacher conference or report card time, the IEP goal should be updated and you should see progress of it. Mm. So, for instance, if I say, OK, Billy um, will read 20 sight words by the end of the year. Once the first quarter come in the IEP, they should report to give you a report, a progress mm. report. And they'll How say, it yeah, it will say Billy's reading three. And so the next time report cards come out, Billy's able to read 10. So you should know and see the progress in that, but you should also see the progress in your child. Billy should come home and you'd be like, how Billy know that? 
So not only that, you will see it in the progress, but you'll actually see it in the child. Yeah, that's so good. Hi, I'm Darius Hillman. Joining me on the next In the Arena, internationally acclaimed thought leader and architect at the forefront of the digital transformation of cities, George Bursiaga. You know, as poor as I was, I always felt loved for somehow, and I always found a place to, to love back. Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Can TV Cable Channel 19 and streaming on CanTV.org and the Can TV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. On the next episode of Hustle, Play, Love, we'll talk to a big idea chaser who was inspired to start a business for the culture to preserve and share black history. And I'll be joined by Chicago's native son and international jazz composer and percussionist, Tahil El-Zabar, Tuesday, January 23rd at 7.30 p.m. on CanTV Cable Channel 19 or stream live on CanTV.org or on the CanTV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. When I think about parent advocacy, specifically with children who have IEPs, um, sometimes emotions can go high, right? <laughs> because you're in a space of, I see some challenges. You may not know how to articulate um, with the words, uh, but you see it. So sometimes emotions are high for a parent. As a social worker, how do you cultivate trust and relationships with parents um, and help them along the way? Yeah, one of the things I do is I always make myself available to them. I always, always give them my, my information. I reach out, especially during the evaluation process with them. Um, I'm, I'm really active in the kids' lives, the students' lives. So I get to meet the parents and we have activities. And so really just being a support for them. And many mm -hmm. times they'll come there and they'll have an insta uh, incident that has nothing to do with me. And they'll be paging me on the account like the parents say, you need to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I try to make sure they understand things. Um, I try to let them know that I'm here with them and that they're part of the team. That's one of the one things I try to let them know. You're a part of the team and I'm here for you and I try to allow them to hear my heart about the children like mm -hmm. and all the children have strengths you know sometimes it is a little overwhelming when we're in these meetings and the parents are study hearing about these deficiencies and these lacks that can be overwhelming and so I always try to take them back to the strengths of it right mm -hmm. and how these supports that we're giving their kid is going to give them what they need to be the best version of themselves that's so good so how did you get to this point of um, being a school social worker and saying, this, this is the population of children I want to support or have a heart for? Wow, that's so funny you say that. Um, I had been working in the school system for a long time. I, had, I used to be in the lunchroom. I used to be a lunch aide. I used to be a TA, which is a teacher's assistant. I was a school secretary. I went to the district office for a while and did finance. And... Um, went back to college. Mm. And so I got my first degree in business. And so I was in the finance uh, office for a while. I left school social, I left school secretary to be in the finance office. And I remember one of the teachers came up to me at the school where I was a secretary. And he's like, you're not going to like being in district office because you're not going to see the kids. And you're a kid's person. Mm. You're a kid's person. You're not going to like it. 
And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> so I did that for about three years, but mm. there was a reason because there inspired me to go back to school, mm. right? So I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree, met a lot of amazing people. One of my supervisors poured into me so much. And then I went back to school again. Um, so I left there, worked there three years. And I'm like, he's right. I miss kids. So I went to another <laughs> school where they allowed me to have the best of both worlds. Mm. So I was also like an intervention and now I had a degree. So I was kind of like a substitute teacher part time. And I worked in the business office part time. Right. Mm. And so during that time, they had me over a program called Career Cruisers. And so I would have to go to these meetings outside of the building and bring the data back and the information back. And I had to help lead the implementation of this program called Career Cruisers. But I'm one that likes to actually get involved in things to a, a deeper level, a deeper understanding. I like to experience it. So I actually did the Career Cruisers for myself. <laughs> and near the top of my five list, the careers that they would recommend for me was social work. Really? Yeah. And I had never thought about it. At the time, the school I worked at was a small school and we had a social worker that worked twice a week. I found myself the other three days that she wasn't there being a social worker. And my superintendent came up to me one day. He's like, have you ever thought about being a social worker? I was doing home visits with him when she wasn't <laughs> there. And I didn't realize he had a background in social work. He used to be a school social worker. Now he's a superintendent. And I was like, maybe I should think about this. So I remember going home and praying about it. And I was like, well, I have this bachelor's degree in business. So maybe I should get a master's degree in business. So I'm just looking and looking. And I saw a program where I can get both the master's mm -hmm. degree in business and a master's degree in social work at the same time. And that's what I did. Wow. On the next Chicago Newsroom 2.0, we'll take a closer look at the current state of Chicago with journalists and roundtable regulars, Samantha Thomas and Francia Garcia Hernandez. How do we support communities in need? How do we make decisions with communities? Join the conversation Wednesday at 7 p.m. on Can TV, cable channel 19, or stream live on cantv.org or on the new Can TV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. I'm Hugo Walta, host of the program Three Questions With. We often associate homelessness with images of individuals sleeping on the streets, in tents, or under bridges. But there's a less visible form of homelessness that is just as prevalent, if not more so. Because they're not considered literally homeless, they're not counted. It's an invisible population that's just sitting there in, in a very dangerous situation. Join us on Wednesday at 7.30 in the evening via Channel 19, streaming on CanTV.org and the CanTV Plus app. What a journey, right? Like when we recap last episode from having your first, getting pregnant at 15, having your first child at 16, and you exploring your career journey by being led, what it sounds to me, by your passion and having an advocate's heart. So were there any other spaces in life where you were advocating for people? Now you advocate for children and families. Um, were there any other spaces where you did that? All the time as a mm -hmm. kid. I was like, for a lack of a better term, I was a bully's bully. Mm -hmm. So if people were being <laughs> bullies to people, I would go stop it. Like, what are you doing? No. I did that through high school. I remember people thanking me. And I didn't even really <laughs> notice that I was doing it. Till one day we were at home and we were having like a family game night and my sister's boyfriend was over. And this was years later, right? I'm an adult, she adult. And we're just hanging out. 
watching movies, just having a wonderful time. And her boyfriend came up to me. He was like, I just want to thank you. I said, well, for what? Mm. He's like, I was playing basketball with this guy yesterday. He said in high school he was getting jumped on and you came and stopped it. Everybody was just watching and laughing and you stopped it. And he's like, you were his angel. I was like, what? Mm. I forgot about that. But that was just, like you said, I had a heart to help people. And so, yeah, it had been in me all along, but I didn't really know. Career cruisers helped me to see it and put language with it and experience it on a deeper level. Mm, that's so good. I'm glad you you sit in the seat that you're currently in as a school social worker because children and families do need help and support and the language and the tools and saying, oh, here are your rights. Let's understand your rights. Let me help you understand your rights. And I know that you have gone above and beyond um, supporting those inside the building and those outside of the building. What would you want um, other social workers to know who may be feeling burnt out, who have that same advocacy spirit? Yeah. One of the things I do and my staff laugh at me now at the school I work at, they're like, she is faithful. Mm. I do a lot of self-care. I rest. I reflect a lot. Um, I have a healthy sense of what's in my control and what isn't. Um, but I do do self-care. So at my school, we have massage chairs. Every Monday and Friday, I spend at least 15 minutes enjoying the massage chairs. I reflect about the practices that I um, implement. I reflect on better ways to do that. Um, I realize what is my control and I take care of that. Sometimes I think we get overwhelmed with what is not in our control and we focus on that. I focus on what I can control and I try to do that better every day. Mm. How long did it take you to get to that place <laughs> of focusing on what's in your control? Because I, I think that's key. Yeah, I really can't take credit for it. It's slowly just been growing in me. It was like a seed that was always there. Mm. Um, and it just keeps growing and I keep cultivating it. And when I get ideas to do things, I realize it. I'll take time to reflect, like even between heavy situations, even yesterday, I had a really heavy situation. I was preparing to travel and like literally five minutes before I was leaving, I was finishing this heavy situation that lasted mm. almost two hours. Right. And, um, the secretary was like, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go. I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving, I'm breathing. Mm. I'm breathing. So I listen to my body. That's good. Yeah. That's good. It's important. Um, intentional pauses. Um, I've been teaching my children about that. <laughs> Let's breathe. They don't always like it, but we going to practice, right? Um, I'm curious about what you would share with a young person who may know that they have an IEP, right? Not all of them may be aware, mm -hmm. but those who know may feel less than. What would you want to tell them? Wow, so many things that you are capable, that you are wonderful, that you are smart, and we all need a little help sometimes. Mm. That's what I would tell them. I work with some kids that, like you say, they know, and sometimes they try to feel embarrassed about it. And I always assure them that it's okay. You're okay. We're giving you what you need. And I've actually seen several students who no longer needed an IEP. So that means their services were dismissed. Mm. Yeah, because there are a multitude of reasons why someone may need an IEP. A multitude of reasons. And so, yeah, 
those different supports sometimes get people to the level where they've outgrown it. So you no longer need it. That's powerful. And also breaking the stigma, right, off of different abilities and neurodivergence uh, in our society and saying everybody needs some help. I know I need help. (laughs) Often, um, if there was a such thing as a a support cycle, (laughs) right, like that um, in adult life, um, which is called our villages. Mm -hmm. So. I appreciate you being a part of my village and um, literally supporting our family um, with all of the knowledge that you just shared here today has been greatly um, impactful. And I've learned so much. And that is one of the many reasons that I asked you to come and share how parents Um, can advocate and be more knowledgeable and know where to find the information and who to talk to because it's not often um, explained or uh, readily available to the everyday person. Any last thoughts uh, you want to share as we come to a close about parental advocacy, being a social worker, and its impact in the school systems. I really will want people to remember, the parents to remember that they are the experts of their child. And mm-hmm. I would like for them to do a little research if you can, because there are things out there that can help us. And sometimes if we have this feeling that we can't shake, do a little research, just a little Google search and start looking in. I actually found the other day a Facebook page for parents with IEPs. And I'm not a parent with IEP, but I joined it anyway because we can always learn from each other. And so being open for the experience and just seeing where it leads to and then helping other people. Like you said, that village, once you start to learn things, I just believe each one reach one, right? And mm-hmm. so we start to learn things allowing someone else or um, teaching someone else. One of the sayings at my school now that my principal has that I absolutely love is we're here to learn with, from, and about each other. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm learning, you're learning about me, I'm learning about you, and we're learning together. So just being open to that experience. That's phenomenal. So our takeaways are research, <laughs> Google, let's let's utilize our circle of support. And I was reading something last night about vulnerability. Like when we keep things to ourselves, um, our help may be right next to us, but when we don't say we are in need or what we're experiencing, we're missing out on our support. So that's another takeaway is, being open to being vulnerable because your support, your answers could be sitting right next to you. Right there. Mm, that's good. <laughs> well, Lakeisha, again, thank you for coming back um, and sharing your knowledge, your lived experiences, your wisdom with us so that we can have a better community because you're using your gifts. As all of us use our gifts, our community gets better. It's truly been a pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Awesome. Thank you all for tuning in.